Good music podcast on the internet. I am Regression <laughs> or Michael, um, and I am joined as always by Orm. Hi, I'm Anna. Uh, yeah, this is the only good music podcast. True. I thought I, I went through all the music podcasts in my head, and we're better than them. Yeah, exactly. Like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come listen to us instead. I say this as a person who listens to other music podcasts. They're not very good. <laughs> I say this is a person who's concluded that all the other media podcasts are bad and has stopped listening to them. You're so much... You're doing so much better than I am. <laughs> uh, so, <sighs> before we get going, do you have any bits mm-hmm. and pieces? Yeah, yeah. So, we'll talk about the albums that we're here to talk about uh, in a minute. I just wanted to briefly mention um, this record that I've, I've listened to like a dozen times now. It's like seven songs long. I think it's like... 30 minutes or something maybe not even that much it is called dinner party it's by um terrace martin robert glasper ninth ninth wonder kamasi washington's on there it's basically if you remember our episode about thundercat and it is what it is like um it's that la jazz scene just got together put out put out an album called dinner party it's got dinner party vibes it's very just like chill it's like jazzy r&b and i just think that like I think we have a lot more to say about, like, all these guys in the L.A. jazz scene because I think they're all tremendously talented. I don't think this is a record that I have a lot to say about, but I think people, if you like the music we talk about, like, I cannot recommend that album enough. So, that's all. Hell yeah. And yeah, just individually, they've all got, like, entire bodies of work feet to go dig into, whether it's, if you're if you're into, like, jazz piano stuff and stuff that leans more, like, gospel. Um mm-hmm. Glasp is there for you. If you're into like big operatic jazz stuff, then Kamazi's there for you. If you're into the like hip hop crossover stuff, Terrace Martin's there for you. Yeah, I was literally like, gonna say three chord three chord fold is like a really great like hip hop jazz like trying to bridge the LA jazz scene and LA rap scenes. Um, yeah, yeah. Which like pretty much in 2015 were like overlapping in a huge way but um yeah, three chord fold, three chord fold is like a huge part of that for me and i think it is an overlooked part of that for sure nice. so yeah so yeah this is all cool stuff that i'm sure in time we will come back to and revisit but yeah, yeah. it's just a a nice little shout out yeah so two albums this week uh the i don't know if you cut out or if you were throwing to me <laughs> two albums this week <laughs> We're doing it live. Um, we've got two albums this week. One is The Truth Hurts by Draco the Ruler. Mm-hmm. And the second is Descender by Post Louis. Um, you'll get the spiel about Post Louis and why I've brought it later. But I think we're going to start with Draco. Yeah. We are not the same. You don't have enough eyes. I lift up my sleeve and damn, I almost went blind. It's gonna be really hard to see me under strobe lights. If you see me with that fan, nigga, don't mind me. He tried to run up on a job, I had to close lining. Sneak dissing on the neck, got me dumbfounded. It's gonna be a lot of funerals and closed caskets. They was screaming, free me, and now it go backwards. I 
worry about them comments on the net Shooters with me, that's gonna leave a nigga stretch who don't like me I came in rockin' Cartier protect Sneak dissin' when I know you as a fan, I'm too icy Ain't worry about them comments on the net Shooter with me, that's gonna leave a nigga stretch who don't like me I came in rockin' Cartier protect Sneak dissin' when I know you as a fan, I'm too icy about them comments cause I'm way too icy <laughs> Man. I ain't worried about them comments, nigga fuck who don't like me If you dig it then you gotta get the shovel But I spill them while I'm dancing with the devil I'm a villain but the Lord will be my shepherd Stick talk, left his body like a lever Once again, can't nobody do it better A punk rocker, I'll be playing heavy metal This was all thought in 5300 I love the fit but I gotta rock a drum with it These is ballots from the police, I'ma running them I'm a felon on parole, plus these guns in here In front of the streets, I suggest you don't come in here I flood the studio with Neiman Marcus shopping bags I ain't worried about them comments on the net Shooters with me, that's gonna leave a nigga stretch who don't like me I came in rockin' Cartier protect Sneak dissin' when I know you as a fan, I'm too icy I ain't worried about them comments on the net Shooter with me, that's gonna leave a nigga stretch who don't like me I came in rockin' Cartier protect Sneak dissin' when I know you as a fan, I'm too icy about them comments cause I'm way too icy <laughs> Man. I ain't worried about them comments nigga fuck who don't like us don't like me and I'm glad they let me know it I'ma sit outside as mama house to read a poem don't worry about them village double part that's just a song good punchlines but I'ma do a nigga wrong where was niggas at when I was sitting in a can where was niggas at when I ran through 200 bands I'ma slap a nigga till he wake up out his dream Then tell him I left his BMI's and it was scream What is real money? You don't even know the meaning To wake up up in heaven but still go to sleep a demon What is real money? You don't even know the meaning To wake up up in heaven but still go to sleep a demon Roll I ain't worried about them comments on the net Shooters with me that's gonna leave a nigga stretch who don't like me I came in rockin' Cartier protect Sneak dissin' when I know you as a fan I'm too icy Ain't worried about them comments on the net Shooter with me, that's gonna leave a nigga stretch who don't like me. I came in rockin' Cartier protect. Sneak dissin' when I know you as a fan, I'm too icy. <laughs> I ain't worried about them comments cause I'm way too icy. <laughs> I ain't worried about them comments, nigga, fuck who don't like me. Draco the Ruler is maybe the best rapper alive. And I have been saying this for a few years now. And I feel it, and so that's why I brought this record, because he had a new record out, and I was just like, yeah, let's just talk about Draco. Um, For people who are not familiar with Draco, um, he is an L.A. rapper um, who I kind of got put onto in, I think, 2018 or 2019, um, uh, when... In 2017, he put out a, like... Three or four albums or mixtapes, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I got put onto him in that time frame by um, the blog Passion of the Weiss was covering him pretty extensively, both because like they were like onto the fact that he is one of the best rappers alive, and, and I fully stand by that. And then the other thing that they were covering it pretty extensively, like, doing, like, journalism work. Like, I call them a blog. They were doing, like, real hard-hitting journalism was in... uh, I should have looked up the date, but I believe at the end of 2018, um, yeah, around December 2018, it looks like, uh, Draco 
got taken in by the like LA County Police Department um and just like charged with a million and one things like you know carrying a gun without a license uh gang affiliations like you know second degree murder first degree murder just charged with like I don't even remember there's a lot like the the LA County was clearly just kind of upset that like a rapper was being successful and rapping about like he raps about doing crime a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does do that. The, the, you know, like the state didn't take, like didn't take well to it and spent three years, like tying Draco up in a prolonged legal battle. It was difficult. It was bullshit. There was no evidence for any of it except his songs. Um, And, oh, you were in an Instagram photo with this person who we do have evidence was guilty of this other crime. And so we're going to charge you with, like, these ridiculous, like, gang charges that, like, Los Angeles and lots of other places throughout the country have. Um, His whole label group click uh the stink team got like classified as a street gang by the um uh by the state of california even though they're like not one they're just some kids who like rapping (laughs) um it's it's been a prolonged battle in 2020 um like in, in 2020 things looked really rough because basically it could have gone either way any day um like draco was facing life in prison uh and like put out an album anyway recorded over like recorded in solitary confinement from like the phone line that they would let him use once a day he like was rapping into the phone and they put out this album and it got covered in all sorts of national news sources which brought a lot of attention to the case uh, also, just conveniently, um, you know, very nice of Draco to do this. Thank you for using GTL. That album recorded in solitary is the best rap album of 2020, is the best album of 2020. Uh, G- Thank you for using GTL is fucking incredible. <laughs> it is the best rap album ever recorded from prison, and I've listened to a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, like, and... Partially because of that national attention, the like the district attorney's office was up of LA County was up for re-election in 2020, uh, and partially because of like the national attention that Draco's case got, like all the like the district attorney was voted out, and like the the day after losing that election, like hands Draco a plea deal. He was home by Christmas. He bought a Rolls Royce on Christmas Day. We're all very happy for him. And I think I think he got out in December and put out an album in December. And I think he put out another album in January. Each of them is twenty songs. I chose the more recent one, um, "The Truth Hurts." But like, I guess now let's get into the like the meat of the music, which is that like. The albums don't matter because Draco wrote 200 songs in prison from from the reporting I've seen. And so, like, I don't know. He's just in the studio all day, every day. Just, just like chunting out tracks. 
yeah, just putting things out. And so he put out We Know the Truth, which I have not spent much time with yet. Um, and this album, The Truth Hurts, each of them are 20 songs. And it seems like there's a lot more coming. Um, yeah, no, it, it feels like one of, you hit those, you hit a stride. And he feels yeah. like he's on one right now. And like, thank you for using GTL is astonishing and so fucking good. And then just like, I was waiting for like, what's it going to sound like when he's just mm-hmm. able to just flex his muscles. And this, this is it. This is fucking Yeah. It. And here's the thing. The Truth Hurts I is a really fucking great album. I really, really like The Truth Hurts. And it's one of my least favorite uh, Draco projects that I've listened <laughs> to, and I still think it's it's better than most other albums. It's better than most other rap albums. Like, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he did this. <laughs> um, so, let's talk about what this, like, the thing that, for me, well, I'll, I've been talking a while. I'll throw to you. What are, what is your like impressions of this album? What did you think? So yeah, like you made the joke that um, Draco talks about doing crimes a lot. Like that's <laughs> the thing he raps about. Uh huh. This album's like I'm not gonna say just straightforward because it's so stylish. The way he does everything is so stylish. That's yes. the thing that is obsessing me. Like, yes. he takes the most basic, the most, like, trad, like, most worn out rap, like, gangster rap stories and makes them just so effortlessly cool. And, oh, I it's know. so good to listen to. <laughs> yeah. I've... I've never heard someone so disaffected on the microphone. Like, (laughs) Draco might not be, like, looking at the microphone. Like, for all I know, he might be, like, kind of, like, leaning his head over here and just, like... And it's the most charismatic thing in the universe. I've heard other rappers since 2017 try to do Draco, and none of them are good at it. Like, they all, like, a lot of rappers have been trying to do the disaffected thing. Draco is somehow, like, one of the most charismatic people on the microphone I've ever heard, and he's (laughs) he doesn't sound like he wants to be there most of the time. (laughs) Just, it's, it's a kind of, like, confidence and subtlety which just mm-hmm. blows my fucking mind um yeah it's that like the ability to sound like you're providing no effort but that like all the effort is really going into is the like minute changes in vocal tone and the like little like like little bits of subtle rising and knowing it inside jokery that just like he is so in control of everything he's doing that it's it's yeah you can't help just well, and it's it's such a it. huge flex. Um, the the first the first Draco song I heard was I, I didn't get him in, get into him at this time in 2015. But the first so- Draco song I heard was I am uh, or it was from the album I am Mr. Mosley from 2015, and the the song was Blood and Bands, and I think that's one of my favorite. Like his first verse 
on that song is like a top 10 rap first of all time to me. Everything I do is ignorant. The way I constantly swerve and despise is belligerent. I know this shit is crazy. I know this shit is sad. And I can buy me a new whip if I do the whole dance. Crash, smash. Now we in the mozzie. Pulled off a fiber, nigga. Please don't tell nobody. I know I'm impatient. I could've got a Audi if a nigga fucking waited. Mr. Ungrateful. Thighs and blue face. Mask in a beam. Miss all black cage. Take it all. Break him all. Yeah, we really do this shit. Extorting and aborting at me next to Judas. Listen here, you stupid bitch. Mr. 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 Fucking get dope. Lingo, bingo, I just cracked another stove Pop some my knots and a couple grams of gold Whoa, bro, these niggas wanna act, bro We keep the 40 cow, my niggas wanna snatch souls For mannequins to cast for the ghost, these niggas spoke Sheesh, they like Draco, that's you And everything is gritty with a toe oh. I'm like, bitch, I'm the motherfucking man This bitch acting like this ain't 8,000 in my hand Blow them bands, bands Bitch, you blow them bands, bands I'm like, bitch I'm the motherfucking man that's been checking like this ain't 8,000 in my hand. Blow them bands, bands. Bitch, you blow them bands. We bout to cash out. And bitch, that is, that is a, a verse where he, like, you can tell he spent, like, a week just, like, tweaking every little part of that, just writing and rewriting. And I think that's still true, all, like, six years later. But I think that, like, the, the, the way that he makes it seem so effortless that just like he just showed up in the studio and was just like like i think he probably is still writing and rewriting and tweaking and adding another joke and adding another punchline and adding another um like you know inventing a new slang term one of the most incredible things about draco to me is the way that um like he uses so much slang but like I'm very used to, like, rappers who use a ton of slang, and you're like, damn, what the hell is he saying? And you, like, go and look up, and, like, this is, like, what Pusha T is trying to do a lot of the time, is Pusha T wants you to go look at the lyrics and be like, oh, damn. Draco's not that. Draco is, like, drenched in, like, his own, like, dialect that nobody else speaks, but as soon as you hear it, like, I know what mud is. I know why he talks about Neiman Marcus shopping bags all the time. I don't go to Neiman Marcus. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what he's got in that Neiman, Mar Neiman Marcus shopping bag, and I know it's not clothes. <laughs> but, the, but this is the thing, is that the ability to make all the, like, scary shit so, like, subtle, uh -huh. careful, and implied, and, yeah, just smooth and like entirely within his grasp it's just it's fucking great it's, and there are, <laughs> i i joked to you <laughs> the other day man just loves rapping about shooting people i'm not like <laughs> really does <laughs> regardless of whether he's actually shooting people he just loves thinking about it he loves saying it he just like if he was shooting as many people as like the album would make you believe like there wouldn't be anybody left in LA. Like he loves shooting people in songs, and it's yeah. amazing. So, so there is a track on this record called "Power Right in the Kisser," which is like, yeah. mm. Mm -hmm. every second line is "Power Right in the Kisser," uh -huh. in the most like sarcastic, extraordinary voice that I can. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's just like 
drilled into the back of your brain by the end of the track. And it's a good yeah. track. It's a posse cut. And every single person is like going off on one in, in all sorts of different ways. And they're just, every time it comes back to Draco, it, whether it's first verse, right at the end, it's just like, we are just very definitely talking about shooting people very explicitly. <laughs> but it's done with such like a mix of, I'm not going to say sarcasm, it's meant entirely deliberately, but such a sort of like, uh, blase, like, cutesy I've, I'm struggling for words to describe the, sim- the the sensation of being like it's the sort of situation you've like the only thing that I remember that like has this same kind of attitude is like no I don't, I'm struggling because as soon as I think of things they're not they're just not the same so like the, you go oh my god yeah no I'm trying I'm really struggling here because like <laughs> I, I, so to, cap- to capture the attitude it's like it, to call it blasé would be to undersell how much meticulous thought goes into presenting it as so breezy and so easy and so like beguiling and like yeah that that combination is just like something that I haven't heard in rap music for a while and it is so much fun to listen to. <laughs> so I I actually just a, two or three days ago thought of an MF Doom comparison which is not like. I don't think that they have similar flows. I don't think they have similar styles. I don't think they have... They have somewhat similar, like, disaffected attitudes. But the thing... The thread that I was thinking about... And this also ties it back to why I think Draco is, like... Such a breath of fresh air in, like... An L.A. rap scene that is struggling to keep up with, um... Like... Just... The Atlanta rap scene has been the predominant rap scene of the of the 2010s. Um, just like, not just the Atlanta rappers are making hits after hits after hits, but Atlanta rappers are being hit makers after hit makers after hit makers. Yeah, they are, th- that's Thug and Future and and Migos and um and Little Baby and like a, do- a dozen other guys that I'm not thinking of right now because it's not important. Um. The LA rap scene has really struggled to uh, like keep pace with that, and I was thinking about because this album kind of reminds me. Um, I think Quavo from Migos had like a had like a line that stuck in my head a, a while back about like he kind of because Quavo is like kind of famously like a pretty decent athlete, even though like that's not the thing <laughs> that he does. Um, yeah. And he kind of thinks of rapping as like an as like a sport. And so he shows up to the studio and like gets his repetitions in. And this is how you have Migos albums that have 40 songs on them, because it's not about this song. It's about like just doing the work, just showing up and just like getting your reps in. Um, and so well, that I mean, it that, feeds both into the the like what you want is both to have the moment where like you nail everything that the practice was mm-hmm. worth it when you hit that, like that track that, that explodes. And like, yeah, Migos have that. They have that a bunch of those, obviously a bunch. Yeah. But the, the thing is also just like the economics, just like make that make sense now. Like doing this as a grind, like suddenly starts to be a viable career strategy for everyone in this scene now. Like as it's, this is like the economics of rap through particularly streaming, just like make this make yeah. sense as a, as a strategy for like, 
P- putting everything out as like a process and craft thing, just like, yeah. like gives the audience what they want in a way that will make you money over time. And like, yeah, that's exactly how it works. Yeah, totally. Um, like me streaming this Draco album that has seventeen songs on it, like gets him a little more money than me streaming a Draco album that has eight better songs on it. Yep. You know. Um, and I think, I, I also think that Draco is very good at putting out 17 songs out, 17 song albums, which not everybody is, uh, yeah, and we that's might circle back ta- to that in a minute. Yeah, it's a different um, talent, yeah. So I was thinking about Draco in relation to, like, Atlanta rap, and thinking about him in relation to LA rap, and I think one of the big struggles of a- LA rap through this decade has been the streaming economy, because, uh, like, Cube, uh, Ice Cube and Tupac are, like, the founders or or the the dna of la rap and those are two guys who do rap about shooting people do rap about stick-ups and, and all these sorts of things and it's always confessional it's always storytelling it's always um you know there's a lot of guilt in la rap about the things that you do and how you don't do them anymore and that runs through like all my favorite LA rappers, Kendrick and Vince Staples, not necessarily the guilt part of it, but the storytelling and confession part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Kendrick and Vince Staples and um, the game and YG. And like that sort of storytelling just doesn't fit like this economy. Like it doesn't fit this like, put me in a playlist and just like, you know, you're going to play my song and then you're going to play six songs by another artist and then you'll go back to a different song of mine and you'll, it'll all just kind of blend together. That storytelling style, that album-oriented style doesn't fit. One of my favorite albums of the 2010s, um, YG's, um, oh, what's it called? Why can't I think of this? Um, why can I not think of this? Um, my Crazy Life. This is one of my favorite albums of the 2010s. Like, that album does not make any sense to make anymore. And YG has had a, like, years-long identity crisis because he can't keep making that album, but he's not good at making other types of albums. <laughs> um, and so, like, I think Draco is a breath of fresh air just because, like, he doesn't have that confessional, gu- guilty or like i don't do this anymore or like he doesn't have any of that he just is the bad guy and he's fine with that and he revels in that and he buys a lot of clothes with all the money he makes from being the bad guy and that was the thing that connected him back to doom to me was the like like draco has a little bit of a villain persona of just like <laughs> yeah yeah um of yeah like he's just going to um He's just going to do what he does, and he doesn't really care. He doesn't care what the listener thinks of it. Like, it uh, it almost makes me think that he's he's doing this to, like, he's always kind of trying to top himself or try to get, like, one of his homies to be like, oh, damn, that was really good. He doesn't, it doesn't seem like he cares what I think of him <laughs> at no. all. No, no. In a not. way that, like, every other rapper cares what I think of <laughs> or <laughs> Maybe not me, but, like, the audience, yeah, you yeah. know? Um. Like, it's just good. It's just good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, this is kind of the thing where the, where the artistry stops being like 
public performance and starts being just the thing you do. And like, Mm -hmm. both in the sense of like, necessary self-narration, but also in the sense of like, nah, it's just my job. My job is to pump out incredible hooky songs that can just be listened to permanently. And that, yes. that is that is the way I make my money. That's my living. This is this is how um this was like the weird thing with Blueface and Tatiana, which is that like excuse me, um like Blueface like Tatiana was like the third song he'd ever recorded in his life. Like he w- and he wasn't a rapper until like a month before he decided to just go in the studio and then Tatiana just blows up for some reason and like I don't think Blueface knows how to rap. <laughs> no. It's no. just maybe a really mean thing to say, but I don't think Blueface knows how to rap. I don't think anybody I don't think he just like I think it's a thing that takes a lot of craft. Um and like but but um like he hit on this one just like really good earworm thing that you could put in TikToks and you could put in playlists and you could put in like all sorts or all sorts of different ecosystems and it just like Tatiana just works. This is why there was all those memes about like oh like literally every like YG has a remix of uh, uh, Tatiana. Cardi B has a remix of Tatiana. Like everybody was on, got on that song at some point. Um, and I think Draco has such a good ear for the earworms i think it's i think his ear for that stuff has only gotten better too yeah um, and I, so many of them are vocal hooks as well it's not it's not musical stuff it's not trickery it's vocal hooks that's yes. the thing that sells it so much for me so like that it's some shit on me mm-hmm. it's some shit on me <laughs> and, and it just again i can't do the vocal stuff I haven't done mm-hmm. the done the years of craft and grinding to get to the point where I can do the vocal stuff. It's just like so bleedingly obvious where someone's just like drenched in like, ah, oh, yeah, I found a thing that's going to be a fucking ear one when I put it in the chorus every time. Um, yeah. And that that's one that just like completely blew me away. And that what? That, it's just stuck in my head now. Yeah. No, for me, it was... Um... Because we were originally going to cover a different album, and I didn't like that album. I, we might get to it soon, um, uh, just to like briefly discuss it. But like, I was like, maybe we'll just talk about Draco. I just feel excited about Draco. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard the new thing yet. I'll go put it on. I listened to the intro, and I liked the intro. The intro is very much him trying to flex in a way that I don't think the rest of this record is. Um, uh, then the second song, Too Icy, one incredible beat like yeah. <laughs> the the production on that song is stunning and then two i have been mumbling that damn hook under my breath all fucking week like i just it's in my bones and i heard it one time and i was like we have to talk about this whole album i don't need to hear the rest of it i need to talk about this song too icy yeah. is one of the best songs i've ever heard in my life <laughs> yeah sometimes it happens like that um yeah no like this is this is it this is the thing that like every single person can probably find a track or three that just will yeah. be their version of that one for this record and like oh my god um there's also just like excellent punchlines. Just like I pulled that up for you while I was listening through, but the end of uh, Rip Debo is 
I'm just going to pull the lyrics up so I can just say mm-hmm. them and just see how ludicrous they sound out loud. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't even know what extortion is. What is that? Nigga, I don't even know what extortion is. What is that? <laughs> I don't even know what extortion is. It's the, what is that? At the end, just like, huh? it's, it's, it's such a genuine sound of amusement that I can't help but like, I can't tell whether that was like, no man, seriously, like, I need to have this conversation with you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that, like, I, I assume I have a lawyer or something. Can we talk about this? Versus that was a punchline that he was like, oh man, I've got to save this to be just like the offhand thing that slides into the end of a track and everyone's uh-huh. going to like piss themselves or, yeah. Um... <laughs> the best part of it is that I've heard him talk about extorting people on songs yes! before. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he talks in that in that Blood and Bands verse that I mentioned earlier. I'm pretty sure he says like the word extorting three times. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, thinking of um, uh. Thinking of Too Icy and thinking of Some Shit On Me, I, I know you watched the, the video for Some Shit On Me that just came out the other yep, day. Have you yep, watched yep, the video yep. for Too Icy? No. Okay. Let's uh, first talk about the video for Some Shit On Me, because I yeah. think it's hilarious. It fucking is. <laughs> because, I, as we've been talking about, I think Draco is like one of the most charismatic like guys on the mic that I've ever heard. And you put him in front of a camera and it's gone. <laughs> it is, he is lifeless in front of the camera. Like, yeah. I don't... It is astonishing to me how uncool he looks in that video until the last 30 seconds when it's just, like, him talking about, like... Like, it's just him and his bros in his apartment and, like, showing off, like, this jacket he bought and, um... Like... Like you know, kind of teasing his bros, and it's like, oh my god, I think Draco might become, like, an actual celebrity, because, like, I think if you just, I think if you put Draco on TV, I think it would just be this for 22 minutes, 16 times a week, like, 16 times, and it would be amazing. Yeah. It's it's the, like, he doesn't have the ability to, to like, do the, the on-camera persona is, and so th- this way actually, like, tell us something about the way the raps work, because, like, the, the on-camera persona is just like so unassuming so like unable to do performance so unable mm-hmm. to like like hype up the shit it's just like it, this is this is you, you, you've caught me in a moment where there's there's money and there's jewels but no there's also good lighting and I don't know why there's good lighting but I'm just <laughs> I'm just doing my thing here um but that just like the whole thing is just like so in- intensely in his comfort zone or at least yeah. if he's attempting to do a performance, it comes across as if all that, all, that, all that's going on here is he's just, like, doing his normal thing. <laughs> Which is equally <laughs> hilarious. But yeah, just, like, the the ease with which he's just, like, being a fucking jokester, but about the shit that, like, spend 30 seconds and it's terrifying. Uh-huh. It's, the balance um, is just impeccable. So fucking good. The the main thing, um, I'm gonna send you the two icy video. Yeah, do that. Uh, I think I think we have a lot of. I would have a lot of similar stuff to say if we were talking about that video. I just need you to see the outfit he's wearing in that video because it's amazing. 
Uh, <laughs> it's do it. We don't even have to watch this together. Just like Life I need you to critique. tell me. Yeah, right. just like. Whew. All right, let's see. Intro. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Lewis Productions. Rolls Royce. This clear mm-hmm. the roller board. The one that he bought on Christmas. <laughs> Supreme beanie. Oh yeah! The jacket, the jacket, the supreme jacket is so good. This jacket is incredible. It's the one he's wearing on the cover for this album too, but yep. I don't think you get to really appreciate it until you get like the 360 view of the jacket. Yeah, you know? so jacket is like a almost P.A. Mondrian construction thing. It's like big yeah. primary color blocks in um, vertical black spaced lines and. Just one of them happens to be the supreme logo in a black in a red square or a red red rectangle. It's yeah. It's this like you, you know. This is the fucking metaphor. It's a, the perfect like balance between functional, uncool dad and like the best <laughs> fucking drip in the world. And like uh-huh. this is the space he's like triangulated so perfectly. <laughs> I'm so glad you like this as much as I do because yeah. I was. I was so worried that I would just be like so effusive and you'd just be like, yeah, it's really good. I really liked the song. I was just like, I'm just so glad that like everybody who I've showed Draco to ends up liking Draco, but I'm always worried because he's so disaffected because he's so like, no, the the personality just like bleeds out in like, in like bucket loads. It's so easy to just be like deeply affectionate (laughs) from this weird, strange personality. Yeah. I'd love it. Yeah. Love it so much. Oh, the other the other thing that I was thinking about, um, which I was noticing more on this record than on other projects I've heard with him, um, the disaffected voice, when you then put, um, I'm thinking of No Apologies, of Not Normal, Don Tolliver, when you put rappers who, like, are doing the, like, singing auto-tune stuff, when you put those guys next to him... Both of them do a lot better, I feel like. Yeah, Because it, it highlights, like, how cool Draco is for not doing that stuff, and it highlights how cool all that stuff sounds next to him. I, yeah. I think he's... It just, I like, think he, it puts the, the musicality into the, the auto-tune stuff, and it puts the, like, tonality, like, front and center in the rapping. Yeah, you're entirely right, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think... Oh, my God. I, Don Tolliver is, like, one of my favorite songs on this record because I think just getting, like, eight bars from somebody doing something very different... Because um, it's... Because Don Tolliver, the song, is featuring Don Tolliver, who I'm not very familiar with as an artist, and then... Excuse me. Catchy the Great. <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. Um, Catchy the Great, who's another Stink Team guy... Um, and all those stink team guys kind of rap pretty similarly to how Draco raps. So like putting, why am I coughing so much? (coughs) 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 Putting a singing guy between two guys who sound like Draco sounds like works really well. (laughs) Yeah. I did want to pull up then and the flip side is like, the thing that is like pretty consistent throughout this record is production, and like, I I am so used. To, well, like you, we've t- what are the rap albums we've talked about on this podcast? We talked about Car, we talked about Mike, we talked about Backhorse, we talked about Madeline. Yeah, 
like the uniting thing about all of those artists is that like they are like very deliberately rubbing against the grain in their production style. Like the most mm-hmm. normal you get is Kerr doing the like most operatic biblical version of a like a pseudo beatless boom bap thing. Whereas yeah. this is just like this is what West Coast hip hop sounds like. Full stop. I yeah. just didn't realize quite how like s- like slinky and seductive this sound itself is. The like th- because what the sound is is like a lot of a lot of super clean stuff. Like there's been a there's been a wave, the sort of uh, X wave of sorry accentation wave of um like super overdriven versions of trap beats that like the thing to do when you want to dirty something up is like overdrive it have a baseline that like booms the the like the whole wave of drill coming into the us is like all about those baselines that just like completely fill yeah. out and soak the bottom end and this is just not that this is like very clean out of weights like super precise super like accurate sharp percussion and then the like the the synth sounds offer like cool triton like full on early aughts shiny quite crystalline quite plasticky very reverby and like like spacious and clean is the way i describe it and it's yeah. just like oh if it, it feels like you're hearing him rap in a in a butcher shop like there's a <laughs> there's a a clinical and like um there's a sort of like bright teeth wide-eyed grin to this sound that i just love there's a yeah um you know what else is great about this album is that uh there's a drake feature on here and it's at the end so you don't have to listen to it (laughs) i was gonna ask about this which which is like it's a good pop song. It's a pop song. It's a good pop song. Yeah, um, I, I don't think Draco is doing his best rapping there, and I don't think it's... I am a person who can be vulnerable to a Drake hook sometimes. <laughs> I don't think either of them are doing their best work on that. Yeah, and the, the thing that's very notable is that, like, you put Draco next to Drake, and he starts to sound very slightly sad boy with a disaffection, which is, like, a yeah. terrifying direction for him to slide. Um, yeah. Which is, I don't want that to happen. Like, I'm sure there's a there's a cool and exciting version of introspective Draco, but I think it looks more like um, a thank you for using GTL Draco, which is just like same temperament, same accuracy, just turning the attention uh, to like social stuff or personal stuff. But like, I don't think it looks like the like Drake. It just no. I don't want that. I don't want that pairing to like solidify. Is that the thing? I I really don't. I really don't think it will. Um, No, no, no. I think I think Draco, after his prolonged legal stuff, is like in search of a hit, and weirdly has gone into like the 2015 bag of tricks, which is like get Drake to show up on your record. But I just don't think like so. When I when we were getting ready to record, I typed in Draco on Spotify, and when you do that, he shows up like him and Drake are on the cover of the new joints playlist, but they're not notably on the cover of Rap Caviar, which is like the one that matters. Mm-hmm. And so like I think the Drake song is like in chase of a hit, which I don't I don't begrudge him that, you know, like whatever. 
do your thing. Uh, I think it's just in chase of a hit, and I think it's like just a very outdated idea of what you have to do to chase a hit. <laughs> because I yeah. don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think if you were trying to. I think if you were trying to do the hit chasing thing, you would call Travis Scott now. Yeah. Uh, and even Travis Scott might be like one year behind the curve at this point. <laughs> but I mean, this is the thing is that like a Travis Scott hit usually is something slightly weirder and slightly like more blown out. That like the one reason Drake actually fits is because Drake, for better or worse, fits the really like smooth, slinky, like crystal clean beat in a way that like Travis Scott tends tended not to in my experience. Like yeah. Travis Scott works when you've got a beat that's slightly out of its mind. I would describe myself as a Travis Scott apologist. Uh-huh. Um I I'm not going to say that Travis Scott is great. I'm going to say that he's good and then I'm going to say that Travis Scott makes music that I I could listen to Travis Scott songs for literally 10 hours in a row and just be like, yeah, I'm having a great time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there, there is like, there is a smooth perfection to the weirdness of a Travis Scott song that yeah, I could just... <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, you put it like that. <laughs> he has perfected making a song that's like a little bit weird, but not actually that weird to where I could... I could just listen to a million of them. <laughs> yeah. No, as soon as you say it like that, it's... No, that's fair. I remember Astro World. It is, it's exactly that. It's not yeah, quite I mean, as weird as you expected it to be to de- get the thing out that you want. And It's... I think Birds in the Trap is a weirder album than Astro World is, which... But, but it's weird because... Astro World is objectively a weirder album. I just think Birds in the Trap surprised me more. And like by the end of Birds in the Trap, I was like, okay, I know what his deal is. And so when Astro World comes out and it's like, oh, his deal is turned up 10%. It's like, oh, right. Okay. Duh. <laughs> yeah. And it, it uh-huh. is also canonically, canonically like the, the, the Autumn explainer track, because quite clearly Autumn's life motto is put the pussy on a pedestal. <laughs> Sorry, I just felt like having a dig at you. That was no, entirely unnecessary. No. It's it's staying on the podcast. So. I'm done. Moving on. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm getting ready to move on to Descender. I wanted to briefly talk about like why we're not we talking about talking, yeah why we're not talking about Little Lucy Bird. Um, yeah, I'm sorry for everything I ever said. Yeah, I'm sorry if you were misled. Yeah, and I'm sorry if my words mess with your head. Yeah. You think that you're better off dead yeah. She call me acting all sad, damn Everything bad, damn That's why you can't fuck with fans, damn This not in the plan, damn I am so high, I can't land now So I'm basically say find a man now I'ma just do what I can now For my insistence, the girl is banned now So that girl, I won't be in no jam now Ain't no way you can unhand my baby Told so that girl that she acting too crazy She want me cause I'm driving Mercedes Well, it's Maybach, so this is too different She like the way that my friends be sitting she like the way my bass it be hitting She looked at me, her lips, she keep licking I have the ice on my rollie I 
drive my whip like it's stolen She thought I was gon' say get in But everything in life is written My bomb ain't Jane barely fitting She do anything just to fit in Oh my gosh, she start to lickin' I like to play with her kitten my boy just came home, it is no reason to risk him I'm the one that get the stickin' I say my diamond too big, can't get wristin' You don't hear me, better listen Stand on my money, I'm tall as Pippin' I'm sorry, I'm tryna pitch him I'm so sorry that I'm tryna fix him I'm sorry for everything I ever said Yeah, I'm sorry if you were misled Yeah, I'm sorry if my words mess with your head Yeah you think that you're better off dead, yeah. She call me hacking all sad, damn Everything bad, damn That's why you can't fuck with fans, damn This not in the plan, damn I am so high, I can't land now So I'm basically say find a man now I'ma just do what I can now For my instance, the girl is banned now You is too bad for my brain You is too bad for my memory But I love when you get brain I swear that's my only memory Everything that you said, I did, but I swear not a sin in me Every time that you went out, you always linked up with a friend of me uh, Girl, I saw you with the arms, you was not family, no kin of me I swear that shit, it need to stop, I am too numb, it ain't killing me Matter of fact, you can do what you want, okay, shut up, are you done? I'm not falling for that, I'm not dumb, you the one, I'm not the one that sprung You the one, I'm not the one that's up, drowning all my sorrows up in rum I'ma count this money with my thumb, I can make that girl cry till she come I remember she said I was nothing, yeah now she's busting, yeah My life fucked, yeah I'm unlucky, and yeah. I'm sorry for everything I ever said, yeah I'm sorry if you were misled, yeah And I'm sorry if my words mess with your head, yeah You think that you're better off dead, yeah She call me hacking all sad, damn Everything bad, damn That's why you can't fuck with fans, damn This not in the plan, damn Basically say find a man now I'ma just do what I can now For my instance the girl is banned now So I am a huge Uzi fan uh, Lil Uzi Vert put out in 2017 an album called Love Is Rage 2 He put out in 2016 a mixtape Maybe 2016, maybe 2017 A mixtape called Lil Uzi Vs. The World um, And I think those are sensational records. And I think that like in so much as one can, so rap music in the 2010s moves very fast. And part of the fear with Draco being in prison so long was that like, well, I might get out of prison and I might not be popular anymore because one guy was copying my style, but tweaked it. And then another guy copied his style and tweaked it. And now my style is not popular anymore, you know, because like one of those guys got popular randomly. Rap moves very fast in the 2010s and 2020s, I guess. Um, and so like as, as much as one could, Little Uzi changed rap overnight, you know, um, pretty in that, much. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't think he was doing anything like, like, he didn't change rap music in the way that, like, Rakim changed rap music or Biggie changed rap music. But he changed, like, he changed what was popular. He totally, like, just, oh, this new thing is popular. Fuck everything else because the thing that Uzi does is popular now. Yeah. And I think those were sensational records. I think those two albums are 
two of the best albums of the 2010s. I, I, I cannot say enough good things about them. And so I listened to... And one of the things that is great about them is that they are pretty varied. He has his style, but he's doing a lot of different things within his style. Um, and I listened to the new album, and it sounded like two hours of songs that kind of reminded me of EXO Tour Life, but not as good. Yeah, this is <laughs> and I, an issue. I couldn't tolerate it. <laughs> yeah, Just for, for like context on what what like i the the sort of like hinge point for me is like bad and bougie which has a an uzi feature on it drops Mm -hmm. august 2016 um exo tour life the like blow away extraordinary single of um lovers rage 2 it drops if we can yeah drops february 2017 three uh three four months later and just like yeah. that hinge between the two, like why Uzi is interesting, but not a, a neat fit on Amigos track and why he just owns a beat like Exo Tour Life is like, that's the hinge that like transformed yes. rap music in my head. Yeah. And I, I, I think I can't say this enough. I think Exo Tour Life is a top five pop song of the decade. Truly. I, yeah. Like I don't disagree at all. I like Exo Tour Life is I cannot say enough good things about that song. And so when I say that the new Uzi album is bad because it's a bunch of songs that kind of remind me of it, like I need you to understand where I'm coming from. You being like the listeners that like yeah. like to hear a million songs that sound like that but none of them hit me the same except for the one that is literally just oh I put two new verses in Exo Tour Life that's the only one that really hit me was <laughs> heartbreaking and I had this moment of like why do I even like rap music like it, every song is every album is 20 songs now and Uzi put out 40 songs and none of them are good and it's, it's just rapping about the same things over and over like I get it you fucking take Zannies. I don't care anymore and I had this just like I was just, like, angsty. I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? Because I just, like, felt so upset that Uzi put out a bad album because he, like, Uzi is also a very, one of my favorite just, like, celebrities and, like, personalities that shows up at, like, award shows and stuff. I think he's, like... The fashion is the thing for me. Like, I think he's one of the hottest and best-dressed rappers ever frankly oh unquestionably (laughs) unquestionably and he's like a great performer both in the sense that like he's great on stage and also like you you walk up to him on the red carpet and you put a mic in front of him and he doesn't even know you're coming up to him and you're gonna get a really good gif out of it you know (laughs) (laughs) like i think he knows how to perform for the internet like as well as anyone like i think he's exceptional at it and so like that album not that album didn't like advance him musically which like i liked him because of all that stuff and because i think he advanced like he brought something new to the genre and so to hear him do a new project after three years and not be bringing anything new not to change his style not to do anything that excited me i just felt like Maybe I don't like, maybe I'm too old and I don't like rap music anymore. And I was like, I was hastily just going around and listening to like, I like this little baby record, but I don't want to talk about it. I, I like this, but I don't want to talk about it. Uh, and I, I, I was like, oh, Draco's got a new album. I love Draco. And I listened to it. I was like, oh, okay. I do. I do still like this. Yeah. I rap still music's like still this. broken. 
<laughs> and um, it's yeah. Part so, of the fear was that I don't like long albums like The Truth Hurts is. I don't like albums that are just first chorus, first chorus. Like, because part of the fear was that I didn't like an album like The Truth Hurts is. And I, I do. I like The Truth Hurts a lot. I just need it to be better than Uzi was giving me. <laughs> yeah, truly. So interestingly enough, like, having gone on the whole, um, like, put uh, put Uzi on a on a, um, a louder rapper project and he sounds out of place but interesting and that's like enough of a hook to get you into his world because that's the thing that exactly happened with me um right Pl- pluto baby pluto is the future collab record which is turned into a deluxe double length thing um i think there might be enough fun interesting stuff in there if only well if uh, cool because the interplay between uzi and future is just interesting to listen to i still think it really is um okay um, so like I think there might, there are ways back to like rescue a version of Uzi we can still be in love with, but like no, he's not the same rapper who produced the pop track of the decade. Yeah, I should I should check out the um, Uzi Future record. I came a little late to Future. I think let me scroll through the Future chronology real quick, and I'll tell you. Yeah. So I got into Future with DS2. Um, yeah, DS2 seems to be the common onboarding point. I think I was... I like... Uh, I spotted bits of Beast Mode and didn't click with it because I was very much not yet in my, like, listening to rap yeah. music as part of my normal diet. And then I think the thing that got me in was what a time to being alive blowing up and me not understanding why people like the Drake side of it because the Future side was, <laughs> to me, so... <laughs> clearly so much more interesting <laughs> oh and, yeah and then just like being in at that point like i listen to purple rain listen to evil um yeah so i i got in with ds2 and i think if i had gotten in like six months to a year earlier with like honest and beast mode i would be i would be like a huge diehard future fan yeah i just think <laughs> i think i wasn't quite quite ready for what future was giving me at the moment he was giving it to me and i think that's more of a personal thing that i think like i think future is like very like i think future is very good at the thing that he does and very good at like staying on top of the trends um and like oh the super slimy mixtape that's probably my favorite future thing and that's also a young thug thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i mean makes perfect fucking sense yes (laughs) because i'm such a such a fucking ludicrous young thug person anyway all this to say that i saw that there was a future uzi thing and i was like this might be good or maybe they're both trying to write each other into relevance i couldn't quite parse it just by looking at it i need to hear the songs yeah no i i at least can give you enough of a recommendation to be like having (laughs) the, the 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 literally the way i found out about it existed is because i was going back through old pop tracks i loved and found out that one of the tracks on the collab record, without permission, question mark, question mark, question mark, maybe, I don't know, (laughs) samples gratuitous amounts of uh, a PC music track, which is hilarious. (laughs) But just like that they're in a a spacey and weird enough place with both with the production, but then also with just like the, the playoff between the two of them, that it's just, it's just fun. And like, I had more fun with that than... Listen to um, Tunnel Attacker. A take. A take. Attacker. A take? We're going to never settle on that one. Yeah. (laughs) I. 
Now, now I'm just excited. See, I'm just excited. Like, we just talked about rap music I liked, and I got excited again, because I was like, oh, I've already made my... We've already done some prep work for next episode, so I know what I'm picking for next episode, but I'm like, yep. damn, I gotta, like, get 1017 Thug on here as quick as I can. Like, that yeah. might be... I might already have a pick for that the album after, because I talk about Young Thug so much, and I didn't... I wasn't this Young Thug person until last year. I came to Young oh, Thug wow. so late. So, like, I... Like, yeah, I call myself a Young Thug person having just the, the knowledge that every time I dip into Young Thug stuff, I enjoy myself, <laughs> but also having realized that I never really have, like, done the work to just, like, spend time with it and learn it inside out. Because I know there's that's, just so much and it sprawls. So, yeah. That's how I was for a few years. And then last year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just listen to a lot of Young Thug music. And there was just a month where I just listened to him all the time. Like, I was here doing the albums for this, and then I was just listening to Young Thug between it, and now it's just like, I'll die for that, man. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway. Um, can I just give a shout-out to Young Thug and Uzi to being the two rappers who will happily wear BDSM gear on stage as part of their outfits, and that just being like... God bless them. Truly. God bless them. Um, time to move on. <laughs> yes.
Sender by Post Louie. Post Louie is a band that is my sister, her partner of 10 years, her partner's younger brother, and two of their close friends. I've also done a bunch of production work for them. And that is the sort of background to like why I brought this is entirely like selfishly. I want people to hear this record because I think it's really good. I want people to hear it because people I love have put time and effort and craft into it. And like, as far as I'm aware, not enough, well, as I'm con- uh, concerned, not enough people heard it because of the <laughs> like accidents of how the music production and promotion cycle works. And that like, the, the, on a on a more abstract level, this is also like, what the fuck do you do with having lived through indie rock for the past two decades? Because we talked a lot about like not wanting to be the wanker of a Vampire Weekend record, but like finding that like all over the place chaotic vibe, brilliance, and broken social scene. Finding some of the like punky and hardcorey stuff compelling in the in the other driving record and just like when you've been listening to that music for 20 20 years what happens at the end of it so this is like about as close as you can get to a summation of the music that i've been like (laughs) i it feels weird to say this because i'm not the person who wrote these songs but i can feel all the fingerprints of like my own thought processes and relationships to all kinds of rock music and indie music in all of this music the other half of this is that, like, I also was in the room for a bunch of the production decisions and that, like, all the idiosyncrasies and intricacies and weirdnesses of this record are things that, like, I probably had an opinion on before I got committed. So <laughs> I've got this weird situation where, like, I still think mm-hmm. there are... I, I Somewhere between I still think there might be mistakes on this record or there are idiosyncrasies <laughs> that, like, I trust are just, like, decisions they made that I have to live with that I would have done differently and all of these sorts of things that just like uh, it's a very complicated thing to be so close to a finished piece of art finished uh-huh. work and that like living with all the weird compromises and changes that you make and being part of that process is just a very weird very special thing and I want to talk about it Um, yeah I, I, I kind of so- want to do a tiny bit more biography stuff if that's all right. Okay. Yeah, go. go. Um, so, uh, Sister's Partner was in a band that had a very big moment in like 2008. He is a guitarist. He's an exceptional guitarist. He's also a violinist. Um, that band broke up because everyone wanted to go actually stop being 17-year-olds in bands and wanted to go to uni as well as like the, some interpersonal stuff. Um, but like, they knew it meant that like uh he and his entire circle were like firmly ensconced like the actual proper like capital m capital i music industry knew it inside out um knew what the experience of it was like and had genuine success in it um fast forward five six seven years and he's finished a uni degree um him and my sister have been together for like seven years at this point Um, and they want to start making music again, but like having, 
uh, having had the the like classic get provided with it sounded shockingly similar to the at the driving thing being provided with a big name shitty producer who didn't quite line up with your artistic vision completely shaking things up in ways that you weren't a fan of and leaving you with a compromised product that no one actually wants in the end mm. and and so they were committed to like okay we're going to do this properly and produce some something that is like distinctly ours and it meant that for the like it literally they they put out their first thing in 2013 and two of the tracks on that got genuine attention like the first one i'm just going to link it to you because i think it will be slightly hilarious for you to listen to because okay. the thing that happened with this track was it got a not insignificant amount of journalist attention but all of them assumed that it was female singer and male producer. Whereas, in fact, Robbie, Mrs. Sipana, had done the guitar, but I had done the drums. <laughs> <laughs> I am entirely responsible for the electronics on this track called Oldsmobile. Okay. Um, uh, do we want to listen to this together? Uh, or do you not want to listen to this? Is no, that like- <laughs> no, not at all. Um, more, uh, just drop it on in the background because I'm just going to keep talking, I think. Okay, sounds good. Um, it's a track that I listen back to, and like this is eight years ago. I was a very different person eight years ago. My tastes were so different, um, all of these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I was just also a worse producer than I am now. Um, I would have made so many different decisions, but it's also just like this perfect encapsulation of this moment where we've been listening to so much of this like post dubstepy stuff, like groups like Mount Kimby, James Blake. Um, wanting to capture some of this like spacey electronic stuff that had managed to like become the way of being sincere and uh, like do indie songwriting in the UK and then combine it with the fact that no really it was just a, a female singer and a male guitarist is like the core of this project mm-hmm. um, and like I'm still, like, fond of the sound, but, like, it's very of its moment. A thing that yeah. happens later is then their first, like... Let me actually get to this. Um, I will chuck that sound card link to you as well. Um, a thing that happened a couple months later is they got a track featured on Pitchfork, because that's the thing you can do when you're, like, tapped into a music industry as <laughs> such and make a really good indie rock track. Um, and then, yeah, this is like 2013, 2014, and they sit on basically two EPs that get published, uh, get put out that like, I'm deeply involved in. I, <laughs> I, I could do literally the same thing again. I'm, I am just going to do it again. Cause I think it will be f- even funnier to listen to. Cause it's even more, <laughs> even more like obviously not them and even more obviously me it's this track which opens with the sort of like somewhere between bjork and like the, the micro electronics was the thing we were talking about and listening to it again like super mount kimby super post dubsteppy lots of bjork references and this is the thing they asked me to do mm-hmm. and it just doesn't this sound is- like them but it sounds like very much yeah. the thing that we as like a small family unit put together and that mm-hmm. they wanted, which is mm-hmm. such a weird thing to talk about. But like, this is the thing it is. 
And then, yeah. like, okay, that's the, like, initial stuff over. Like, mm-hmm. for five years then, um, they sit on the fact that they got initial attention and nothing stuck. They didn't get a record deal out of the initial wave of interest. And then, like, life happens. They, um, both of them went on to do second degrees. Both of them picked up careers in, like, quite intense industries. And they, the, the band sort of, like, simmered on the, on the, in the background. And, like, eventually, literally seven years after their first stuff, they finally put out a full-length thing, which is Descender, which is 50 minutes long and reeks mm-hmm. of that process. It is tracks, some of which are seven years old, some of which are much more recent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of which is about work. A lot of which is about being Im- um, employed and the like, trying to be an emotional and human being while being a worker. And it's yeah. just a kind of way of approaching songwriting that like, yeah, it's like clearly not the thing. <laughs> that a lot of stuff is written in the frame of. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's something that's so intensely personal to me and the experiences that I went through with my actual family. As well as just like a mode of like understanding the creative process that just, I don't, I haven't seen other people engage with explicitly. And I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. to know what it's like from someone who doesn't actually know the people in the same way. Because, yeah, I mean, that is my long interest feel for like how this album came to be. Like, there's some, uh, like, trysts with electronic stuff that I provided, some initial attention, six years of wilderness and confusion and annoyance and frustration, and then ultimately just like, no, we need to put out the music into the world. And I want people to hear it. And so here it is. I, so, so, I want to say something and I don't... I'm so worried that it's going to sound like I'm just like, like the thing that my friend was involved in. I think Fishwife and Stress Fracture are two of the best songs we've talked about for this podcast. I think they're stunning. (laughs) Thank you. I was so tremendously taken with Stress Fracture. If I sound weird, I'm trying to pick something up, up, up off the ground. They're, and, and like, there are a lot of other really good songs. I really like Janeski. I really like the title track. There are a lot of good songs, but like just the one-two punch of those first two, like genuinely, even if I did not know that you were involved in this, I think they're two of the best songs that we've talked about for this podcast. Uh, nice. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, Fishwife is one of those that like emerged fairly early i think i think this track has existed in some form since like 2015 or so mm-hmm. um there are like there, this is the bit where i can be like i know every single blow by blow bit of the production process which is um the like the the skittering hi-hats in the intro which i was like um trying to convince Robbie to stop being a wash of noise and to turn it into something more like, uh, sorry, other way around. They were initially very, um, like turning from on the eighth notes to on the 16th notes to on the 32s and like subdividing in this way that was going to get more and more chaotic and that it was clustering everything up. So I said, turn it into a wash, turn it into like a smear. Um, Mm -hmm. first verse, you have basically 
just um uh uh drums uh guitars and voice and the thing you might just be able to pick out is on the drums a weird like suck backy oh i think the easiest place to hear it might actually be at the very very end of the track okay I'm I'm listening to it. I'm jumping ahead to like yeah, the last like, like twenty seconds. Literally, um, at some point it's just guitar squeal and drums, mm-hmm. and you'll hear the drums have this sort of like pumping, like what, like it's it's a weird uh, reverb that like has an, a massive uh, pre delay on it, so that you get the sort of puff of air after each drum hit. Mm-hmm. And this was like, I listened to this was like, come on, you're cluttering your mix up completely unnecessarily now. Like, <laughs> I get it's, it's, pump, it's pumping in a really cool way, but like as soon as you start trying to mix the bass, bass in, it's just going to sound like an indistinct mess. And then I realized that no, the entire groove of the track is based on the fact that there is this like weird pump to the drums. Um, yeah, the, there is a sort of a second verse is this sort of post-punky thing. Uh, this is two minutes 20 or so mm-hmm. um and that like we were all like struggling to figure out like how do we make this verse not sound completely weedy by comparison and i, I sat with them and we figured this out and it was to chop chop the verse from 16 bars to 12 to get it out faster and to put specifically having referenced savages put like savages mm-hmm. style squealy noise over the last half of it to just like be a thickener to the texture and like give it some direction and this is all the sort of stuff that I'm like so intimately familiar with that it starts to become mundane. But then I like mm-hmm. find on the occasions where I revisit this album and like listen to it as a piece of music. It's some of the moments that are just really special like this. And Fishwife's a track that I think, yeah, I'm super happy with this piece of music. So I think... I think while I was listening to Janeski for the first time, maybe something else... But I was reminded of it just now, jumping to 220 and Fishwife, like you said, um, that I, I joked to you that I was going to slide in the bass player's DMs. Because <laughs> it, it's there in that moment that you're just talking about in the second verse of Fishwife. I think Janeski is what made me say this, though. Just like the bass on this album is like really good. And we talked about this with Savages that yeah. like the the base being an engine like the engine for like a rock song is like not novel, but it's always like fun, especially when you get like a really fuzzy. I don't know if fuzzy is the word for it. I but, think like, often it is in this album. Yeah, like this yeah. Uh, this tone is often very like fuzzed up, and it's not um it's not the sort of like really articulate like slam that you got in savages is often quite like warm and heavy but like there is a there's a depth to it that i just yeah i'm glad that they kept right. this, this approach in. right because i think the savages like the base on silence yourself is trying to beat you over the head sometimes uh-huh. and i don't think that's a bad thing i just think that that's like what it's going for yeah whereas this is, this is like thing, but... this is like giving a bed to the rest of the song to kind of sit on and it's really fucking good at that (laughs) um Uh. what there was one other thing i wanted to say um i all the other thing that like really was like hit me a couple times 
through this album um stress fracture is like the one i keep talking about these two songs i just think they're really great (laughs) and i do like the rest of the album it's just like the first half like everything through to sender like really stuck in my brain like Mm. a lot and everything after is good i just like it hasn't i haven't sat with it as much because i've listened to these first few songs like a bunch of times already (laughs) if you go go to them then you go to them yeah yeah so uh, there's a there's stuff throughout this album that i want to sing along to Mm. um i'm so glad you said that yeah and the thing that like really hit me about stress fracture is that the the first time the chorus hits it like kind of invites you to sing along and then you get to the back half of the track and there starts to be this sense of disorientation as like different things layer over um and it just becomes a lot harder to sing along but also you still want to sing along and it's a really cool effect and Mm. i think like i think like i think a song that was i think it's very easy to just have the hooky chorus and sing it and just play it straight because that is a thing that people like as they like to sing along with the chorus and I like that this song kind of takes it away from you toward the end and makes it really difficult. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, the the thing we always had an issue with was like, I kept telling them to cut a section of track usually. <laughs> um, <laughs> both of the sort of big lead off um, tracks, the, the, the like big central set pieces of the, the early two EPs with this can be a bridge and uptight. And both of them were tracks that, I thought could have been made better by losing a section. And I think by Mm. Descender, they just figured out how to strike the balance of like doing specifically the broken social scene thing of just like firstly combining all the elements and secondly, having a flip somewhere in the track that just like makes it harder to find a continuous through line that is uninterrupted or at least like doesn't force you to like recontextualize and reconsider stuff. Um, yeah, but that like the yeah. the middle eight, the like the when they talk about song structure, they always talk about it with a middle eight in it. With like, it's not a bridge. Mm-hmm. It's not a bridge to like. Um, it's not a bridge to like uh, link together and provide some like momentary contrast. It's a developmental section. It's a section that's meant to like transform and uh, reinterpret stuff, and then like give you more to work with for the last half of the track. So yeah. Mm-hmm. it's also the bit that gets and extended it, into post-rocky wig outs so yeah yeah and i think um the the second longest song here is uh the title track and i think like all the stuff that i've been talking about like the D- descender the title track like does it in a really good slow burn sort of way that like kind of earns the six minute runtime mm-hmm. i think um because all the stuff that i like on the other songs is here but like it builds in a really good way yeah and like it, it it makes sense that it's a six minute song you know i i say this as somebody i have joked before that songs should either be two minutes or seven minutes and yes. no, never in between <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm not bothered by it being six minutes no. but um yeah um what else what else um try to think of other stuff i i was looking at the single cover for stress fracture and realized 
Oh, this is how long that Regs and I have been friends is that you sent me that song when it came out and I listened to it and liked it. And like, we've been friends long enough that I liked it and listened to it and forgot about it for two <laughs> years. And then it came back just now. And I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, it's a thing, I guess. Um, I, I mostly recognize, I mostly know that now because I remember this, uh, the cover for the uh, album art or mm. whatever. Yeah. That's that is indeed my sister. I am on the cover art for Ghostwriter. That is me. I thought that was you. I was looking at that and I was like, "Is that them?" <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, this is the thing. Is in like, so there was a, a line on Winter Pollen. Uh, like we talked quite a lot about the first half of the album. There's great stuff on mm-hmm. it. I think that it's worth saying that like all the moments of awkwardness, particularly around that first half of the album, are like. Often things where, like, either it's I've been involved and I think they shouldn't have let me be, which is a weird thing to say, (laughs) but, like, they push into electronic stuff or pick up instrumentation that moves outside of the confines of the five-piece band. And sometimes it's really fucking amazing. Like, Stress Fracture has the most incredible sax breakout that I I can... Yeah, I'd love Mm. it. The, The, like, the thing that elevates the second half of Stress Fracture is this, like ludicrous sax like flying through it um which is it's just amazing and that's the thing that's making the the, the like the final chorus such a chaotic mess but then there are bits like a uh, little jack Jan- uh, bits of janaski where i'm like i wish you played this even more inside the box sorry not inside inside the mm-hmm. box makes it sound like more like laptop music it's the other way around it's like more like a five-piece band but again, this is just like mm-hmm. the trade-off that we kept going back and forth about. And like, just as much as they listen to those indie rock bands, they listen to, like I said, Bjork and Do Make Say Think and uh, James Blake and stuff like that. That like, obviously takes it well, well outside the um, the the like confines of the the like the straightforward rock band. But yeah, yeah. So Winter Pollen is a a track near the end, which is another one of the post punky tracks. Slightly different yeah. sound to Stress Fracture, more like blown out and noisy. Just a- I'm I'm glad you called attention to it because this was like this is one of the standout tracks of the last half of the album to me. It's just that like I couldn't remember any of the names of the, <laughs> these ones, and so <laughs> yeah, like but as soon as I started listening, to it, I was like, oh right, this is the one that I really like here <laughs> at the end. Yeah. So, um, the the. The first line of the second chorus is, I make music with my brothers and I love them so. Which is just like, this is the thing we've been doing though. This is the, the, the thing that has been sometimes very present, sometimes in the background of our lives together for such a long time. And it's, I'm mm-hmm. just so glad that it is. Um, the, the, the last two lyrics, lines of that chorus are, well, the, the rest of that, that sorry, the, the, the rest of that verse is, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact wording. I can't, but yeah, it's something like, but it's hard to be when you're so angry all the time. When Brock Turner spends three months in jail for his crime, when my mother's drink gets spiked at our first show. So like the Brock mm-hmm. Turner thing is what it is. Our yeah. mom had something slipped in her drink the very first time they played a gig in London and like was mm-hmm. badly ill as a result. Um, That's just like... It, when people talk about we talk a lot about like you listen to music with lyrics to hand we talk a lot about 
personalized stuff and stuff that cuts close to home as listeners and like mm-hmm. you fucking listen to phoebe bridges and tell me that like how the fuck doesn't she cry every time she sings on stage with the implications about I- like what relationship there is between the actual stuff in the lyrics and the actual life she has and starts we- to like peel apart in very strange ways yeah when we talked about punisher we did not talk about like there is a kind of like internet public understanding of like um moonsong is about like a person that like we as phoebe bridgers fans all know we know who that's about i i didn't want to talk about it i still don't feel comfortable talking about it because like i don't think it's like appropriate um but like that that's that song is about a person yeah and like we all know who that person is and it's very weird something i will say motion sickness um the song off the first album is off is about ryan adams that is like a very known thing and like like i don't know how you sing a song about a person who does that to you and like not just like have a meltdown yeah like you said like i just don't know how you do that yeah, and, and I have a meltdown singing it in my car, and I don't know Ryan Adams. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, again like I can't tell you what it's like to perform it. I haven't performed it, but it feels intensely strange to be on the in the position to talk about a record where, like, other people can consume your interpersonal like life drama as without the sort of like felt understanding of the intensity or the like the like content of that moment and that's a very strange thing to try and articulate but um like what i've realized is that just like the hope is and the like the the like desperate thing you grasp for is that like the tone of the music itself like captures and communicates it even if i know you will never like feel the same things Mm-hmm. inherently and that's like a an impossible dream like to imagine that the music captures the sentiment but like I, it, it's it's only through actually sitting with stuff that i've been involved in the creation and have seen the inside and outside of that i can like actually start to attempt to appreciate what it's like to try and get that communication to actually succeed it's very strange yeah <sighs> um what else what else i'm now just listening to angler man and like this is it's so weird to have like a softer song on this because like so much of the album just like really moves to me yeah. and like i i'm i'm listening to it as we talk and like i like this track but it like it's so much of this album really did just like stick in my brain because i think like I think because of the bass. I think yeah. because of like it's the, they're doing so many things on top of the bass, and it, it's not that this is a bad song. It's that it doesn't like like sit in my gut in the way that some of the other ones do. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like Labyrinthitis is a three minute, like pretty much beatless post rock like outro for mm-hmm. Janaski and intro to Descender, and like yeah, I feel like it's. It's in the same sonic world as the rest of the album in a way that Angleman isn't. I'm, I'm like, 
glad that there is fish song number two. Like that's quite important. Mm-hmm. S- like symmetrically, that Fishwife has a partner. Um, yeah, which is just like in terms of the the, the, the jokes, <laughs> it slowly sunk in, didn't it? <laughs> it, it, it that one dawned on you. That didn't totally missed me. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. I I agree. Like. Certainly, for the first two minutes of its runtime, it is not in the same Sonic world as the rest of the album, and I'm just, I'm like glad that it has its moment. But like, I agree, that's fine, and like, whatever. Like, everyone's gonna have their their like thoughts on how an album would be better structured or differently structured. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I almost feel like it's a breath that's kind of necessary because December is a seven minute final track that starts off with. Yeah, I as... think going from Winter Pollen into December, I think would be like kind of a lot yeah exactly um december is a yeah december is heartbreaking even for me to listen to it's about our grandmother and she died like four years ago um the lyrics are just like exactly what they are um the uh, like i don't know what was in my sister's head exactly when she was writing it but like we were she was even closer to my grandmother than i was we were all really 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 close um, she had cancer and had had cancer for like a, two decades and re- surviving remarkably against all expectation and odds. Um, and just like, it is slow, careful observances of like the, the bits of life that we shared with each other. And the chorus is when I go home at night, I sit, um, on the bridge on my own. Time is wasted by my hands. Time is wasted when you're gone. Um, and the like, what second verse is now I, uh, pretty much have the lyrics on hand. Uh, now I, um, work for a huge, huge company in a tall, shiny building and they make the drugs my grandma takes to stop her body swelling through and through. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the rest of the album, the rest of it is just like the estrangement and the, the like bizarreness of trying to live a life in the rhythms of like work of labor at the same time as like feeling the desperate like like time and temporality and your experience of it is just like utterly destroyed by the process of both illness but also like illness over distance illness over generational splits um like Mm -hmm. geographical estrangement and that like December is such a, a like a I thought it was um December was just a genius way to remember like f- like stake out the the times of the track because like December isn't simply the like the like the the moments the moment specifically where any individual thing happened December was like the thing that organized our relationship to our grandmother is like the time of the year that we'd leave the UK and go to South Africa and spend time with her and that our relationships mm-hmm. were built through that time of year as a different experience of time itself. Um, yeah. And that, like, work is the thing that fucks that up. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, it is... This is a track that I find harrowing and extraordinary and I love to bits. And I'm. this is the sort of stuff that makes me, like, believe creation is necessary and, like important for humans to survive because like this this set of feelings would have been utterly inchoate to myself until 
my sister and my family put it into words and put it into music. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad it exists, and I, yeah, I'm glad it exists. Yeah, I. <laughs> Sometimes I feel similarly about this podcast, where like, I feel like this podcast kind of like connects me to a lot of things that are very important to me that I don't easily connect to anymore. And so, like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry to, like, relate the death of your grandmother to my stupid podcast. <laughs> no, my but God. Also, I mean, this is the thing I, I was... do as well. I process my relationship to music by talking about it. And the relationship to music is also a relationship to everything that's worth talking about in the world. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, like, the thing that... We were doing we were doing prep for next episode, and I was like, "This podcast exists because like Regs and I only talk about two things. One of them's gossip about me, and one of them is music. And like, I needed, I just needed to talk to you more. And so the podcast exists because it's a way to structure like life and relationships. And yeah, yeah. And that like this is the thing that we've been. Again, the exact same dynamic is happening in my life again, in that, like, they aren't stopping writing music, but they also have mm-hmm. different high-powered corporate jobs. My sister quit that job and found a new career, and she's doing pretty all right in it. But also, it is mm-hmm. exhausting and life-sapping, and she'll be writing uh, professional exams for the next three months, and has been doing it through lockdown, and it's horrible. And mm-hmm. I can't wait until the moment, sometime in this summer, where hopefully we can meet in person again, and hopefully we can make music together again, because I'm missing it so much, yeah. because it is the thing that connects the relationship we have emotionally to the craft and the time that we spend together. And like, yeah, time is wasted by my hand. Like, that's... I literally just listened to that line in the track. Yeah. <laughs> It's you said it in time with where fine. I was in the song. <laughs> but, like, this is the thing, is in, like, our, 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 I, the assertion, I think, a version of it, at least, is that, like, our experiences of time and spending it in the world are, like, crafted through our relationship with both what we do, but what we're, like, entrained and forced to do. And sometimes that is work, sometimes that is labor, and it is draining and it's soul-destroying, and it enforces an estrangement from everyone around you. And that, mm-hmm. um, that to take control is not just to like be no longer subject to those dynamics, but to actually do something with it, to remake your relationship to time and to the activities you do within it. And that like, mm-hmm. I want that to be a way I live my life. And that like, the ability to have music is just a craft I integrate into my life, to be a space outside of work time. Literally, work time is in the the periods of the day but also the flow that it engenders yeah and it's just like how do i make this exist in my life that's a thing that i want to make happen yeah (sighs) so yeah um i said at the top i included this selfishly because i want people to listen to this album so please give it a listen there are band camp links obviously um but more than anything just like this is the best way I know to interrogate the relationship between listening and creation is to like have been on both sides of it simultaneously and to try and process the way through it and it is intensely rewarding both because I think it's a really good album but also because like I 
I couldn't imagine a way of thinking about music that wasn't so desperately like invested in music as craft, as process, as element of production, as as like activity by humans in the world and not like abstracted thought process or media or like sublime divine mm-hmm. inspiration. Like that's not how I treat yeah. it. I treat it as like a a conduit and reflexive process that everyone can and does take part in. And yeah. I'm glad yeah. that this was my version of it. Also, just like it is a really fucking good album. <laughs> you can say like, that. You can say that. I'm glad. I'm I, grateful for you. Saying I really that. liked this album. I'm really glad that, like, because you've sent this to me once or twice. Uh, certainly, singles from it. Like, and I've listened to it, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is nice. And like, really, like sitting with this, and like, I don't know. I also am not always like the best listener uh when it comes to my friends (laughs) in the export audio that we recorded yesterday i was like i did a little segment about like i need to do better at listening to all the podcasts on the export network because like (laughs) i whatever go listen to export audio if you want to hear about that but um yeah like I'm not the best at listening to my friends. And so you saying, hey, motherfucker. Yeah. You gotta listen to this. I really liked it. I just, I think people should listen to it because it's fucking good. Yeah, there we go. We have our answer. So. So. Next time. Does Next time. Ugh. So. <laughs> have we got the list to hand? Have we got the pick to hand? Um, I'm pulling it up. Um... So next time we're going to be joined by Nia, um, mentioning podcasts on the network. Uh, she is the host of Ghost Divers, an anime podcast. Um, a and podcast I'm scrolling about up anime. in a, a podcast about anime. I'm scrolling up in the group DM um, to try and remember which album we settled on. And I remember it's called Flowers. I don't remember who the album is by, and I can't find it. I'm having a panic now. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Let's do some no, control f This is just because I'm a monster. What? Uh, let's do some control f and find out. I can't control F on my phone. It's a nightmare. Uh, um, what was the right bit? Uh... uh. I'm I'm marking this. I gotta cut some of yeah. this. Maybe not all of it. Ah, no. It's kind of funny to watch us flounder yeah, like this. Yeah, flounder by Sin <laughs> Fang. Yes, yes. Um, I might um, be mispronouncing it because the album is well, the the creators are Icelandic, so that might have a, yes. a specific pronunciation that we'll get schooled in next time. Yes, but yes. Um, so that is that is Nia's choice. What's your choice? Uh, my choice is Apocalypse Girl by Jenny Haval. <laughs> And then I was an asshole. <laughs> I was a huge asshole. <laughs> Which is that... One can do this sometimes. I... We were all choosing, like, albums that have a lot of gender and queerness and, and, and all of this stuff. And I was, like, looking at albums that mean a lot to me gender-wise. And, like, we'll cover it next time, like, what that is, but, like... I thought of the album Transformer by Lou Reed, and then I thought of the book Transformer by Ezra Furman, which is a 100 to 150 page book about Lou Reed's album uh, that like 
kind of unpacks a lot of stuff that like I was able to hear in Transformer, but to hear someone or but to read someone like so deeply and thought about an album that means this much to them. It's one of my favorite books about music. It's one of my favorite books about um being a faggot. Um, <laughs> hot tea. And, hot tea. <laughs> and so yeah, like I am I'm bringing the album Transformer by Lou Reed and also I'm bringing a book about it that was written by Ezra Furman as part of the 33 and a third series. Um I have read it before and will do my best to reread it but may not like do that to completion. I don't know what Nia is planning to reread. I know she's read it. I know you have not read it. I'm probably just going to twist your arm into reading yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm going to It's a short book and you're a grad student, so I assume you can read short books pretty quickly. You, you would think this, but <laughs> grad studentage is just as much perfecting the art of pretending you've read stuff as it is actually having read stuff. So You know what? That's fine. Like, if you showed up and you told me... If you showed up and you recorded the podcast and then at the end of the podcast you revealed, oh, I only read the first chapter, like the intro <laughs> chapter and then the chapter about Walk on the Wild Side, I'd be like, oh, okay, I didn't tell, I couldn't tell. Like if you only read the intro and the bit about Walk on the Wild Side, I would just probably believe you. You know, <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough, but I, I couldn't do that to you. It sounds like a really good read and also... Yeah, I have too much of a soft spot for Satellite of Love to let that slip. So, yeah, Satellite of Love is so good. <laughs> That's a David Bowie song. It is a David Bowie song. <laughs> he, so, okay, we're gonna get into it. There is a there is a a version of the demo that exists on uh, Peel and Slotty C, and then I've like that was the version that I remember that I like. It's bad. It's not nearly as good as the version that made it onto Transformer. But like, it's fun to see that this wasn't just an entirely David Bowie song, or indeed. This is um, how I feel, um, because, like, I really like Loaded, the the Velvet Underground album. I do really like it, despite all of its stuff. And like, if you go listen to like their B sides records, you hear some like early versions of Loaded songs, and you're like. Oh, I understand why if you think you're making this song and it turns into the song that's on the record, why you just blow this band up. I understand why you do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, this is just as much a David Bowie Mick Ronson project as it is a Lurie project, but the relationship between the two is fascinating and awesome, and I'm excited to talk about it. And, and it is a huge subject of the book too. Yeah, so yeah, wonderful. And then this is also. And then it, I'm a person with a David Bowie tattoo, and this might be the closest we ever get to talking about a David Bowie album, unless I bring Black Star someday. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna fucking say okay. Let's try Station to Station because like why why would I fucking do that to you? No. I like Station to Station. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I mean... I like... <laughs> as in, yes, obviously they're good albums we'd have good conversations about, but like, at a basic level... No one needs to hear me say that Low is better than Heroes. Nobody needs that. Yeah. You all either know it, or you're fine being wrong. Like... <laughs> is this the version we're going to get talking about Lou Reed then? <sighs> 
But anyway, but yeah, um, um, yeah, I have fun personal history with Lou Reed as well, which you'll get to hear in the podcast. So tune in next time yes. to hear my my personal journey with Lou Reed as well as near and yes. Um, and then the other thing, which we might record right after this, we might um record later this week. But I have prepared some bonus content, which I have not told to Rex, and I'm going to now tell them live on air. And if you want to hear what this podcast turns out to be, you can go subscribe to Export Audio uh, at patreon.com slash exportaudio or exportaud.io. That will be up for the patrons. It will be, like, patron exclusive. Um, I realized that we have talked about 25 albums on the podcast so far. And so I spent 30 minutes ranking them. And then I spent 10 minutes choosing the best song from each of them. And I'm going to walk you through from worst to best, the, my opinions about the albums that we have talked about Christ. on this podcast. So, I mean, you tell that to me and it's fucking fabulous, but also that means I have to make a list now too. <laughs> You can't tell me this. You know who I am. I was gonna. I'm the bitch. I, so I'm the fucking. I'm the fucking asshole <laughs> with the Excel spreadsheet every single December, ranking all my albums. You can't tell me that you're ranking a selection of 25 albums and not letting me participate. This is the thing I do. You can't so, tell an autistic music lover not to make a list of albums. <laughs> so. This is the exact reason that I was going to spring it to you during the bonus podcast. Christ. And then I realized it would be much better advertising if I told the listeners uh, who don't necessarily subscribe to that bonus podcast. Uh, I realized that for marketing purposes, I had to reveal it to you now <laughs> on air. Uh, um, Deb, the marketing purposes <laughs> now created a, an actual bonus podcast production problem in that it's going to double in tre- or treble in length. I don't know. Yeah. Uh great. <laughs> Wonderful. Um we'll figure this out, but I'm I'm hyped. <laughs> Where could people find you online? You can find me on uh you can find me at Twitter on um regression <laughs> with three S's. Uh E G R E S S S I O N. Um you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Uh, you can see in my pinned tweet some other podcasts that I do like Export Audio. I, it, it's podcast. I do it with my wife. Sometimes we do it with other people. We've spent a lot of time talking about Ruby lately, uh, which is great this season. Audacious and bold of them to finally make the show good after a couple <laughs> seasons of not being quite so good. Um, I mean... So if you yeah. if you want to hear that, it's exportaudio slash exportaudio to subscribe to that podcast. Uh, it's my favorite podcast in the universe. I, I love my wife so much. <laughs> sometimes you make a really good podcast. Sometimes that's just a thing uh, that you, have, you, oh, you happen to do. It, it, something I mentioned in the export that I just recorded is not up yet um, that I want to get in a better habit of is also plugging shows that I'm not on that are part of the network. Ooh, yeah. Um, so people should go check out Rush Jet Radio. It's a Mega Man podcast featuring um, my wife, Nora, and our close personal friend, Curly. Um, they just wrapped talking about the truly wretched uh, Ruby Spears Mega Man cartoon <laughs> that they have... Sp- it, it, 
I'm so happy for them because I've really enjoyed those episodes, but they haven't sounded like fun episodes no. to record. And now they're moving on to just anime. Just They're just going to talk about anime now. I think it's going to be a lot better. They're also about to play Mega Man 5 and talk about Mega Man 5. It sounds like it's going to be fun. Yeah, so. those yeah. happen on Twitch streams usually. They are very fun. They're good games and Cully plays them very, very well. So, yeah. Um... But yeah, I think that's going to wrap it for um, this entry on Hot Singles. Might be a bit of a delay on the next one, just so everybody knows, because one, I brought a book, and two, one of the people on that podcast is like the parent of like a eight a toddler. I don't know how old Quinn is, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, small child. So, small child. Uh, scheduling will be, you know, what it is. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, I'm yeah. I'm so fucking hyped for this episode. They're going to be so, it's, 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 they're gonna be so many We've talked feelings. about it so much already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, that'll do it for us. Bye, everybody.